The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, we'll be reading from verse 26 to verse 34, these two parables of the kingdom of God. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the parables of Jesus are a unique part of his ministry throughout his life. In both his ministry of power in Galilee and his ministry of suffering in Jerusalem, Jesus teaches his followers using parables. These short, punchy, metaphorical stories that try to explain through symbolism and illusion what cannot be described in simple straightforward teaching. And the reason for this is quite clear. What Jesus is trying to get people to see, what Jesus is trying to get people to understand is so explosive, so profound, that parables are the best way that he can do it. Jesus' parables, even the simple ones, have layers and depths of meaning that take some unpacking. The Greek word for explain at the end of our passage here, that Jesus explains everything to his disciples, is literally to unravel or untangle. Jesus untangles the parables for his disciples. And Mark lets us know that this is what happens because he doesn't want us to feel silly that we don't get it in the first reading through. The two parables that we have before us this morning come as part of a longer collection of parables. Since last Sunday when we read the story of Jesus forgiving and healing the paralyzed man, we have seen Jesus come into conflict with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law about a number of things. Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees don't like the company that he keeps. His disciples do not fast. And the Pharisees do not like that his disciples don't follow their recommended religious practices. Jesus challenges traditional notions of Sabbath observance, picking grain and healing on the appointed day of rest. And people begin to flock to him 
crowds surround him. In the Gospel of Mark, it seems as though Jesus is always, always, always trying to find a nice, quiet place where he can rest and teach his disciples. But people gathered, to hear, people gathered together to hear his teaching, coming not only from the region of Galilee where he is living and teaching, but all the way from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the regions across the Jordan, all the way from Tyre and Sidon by the sea. With all this attention, Jesus can hardly find a moment's rest. Jesus appoints the twelve and sends them out to preach the word across the region of Galilee, giving them authority to cast out demons and heal diseases. But even this power is questioned by the Pharisees, who wonder out loud whether Jesus and his followers drive out demons by demonic power. Even Jesus' own family, Mark tells us, begins to wonder if he's lost his mind. And then we arrive at this collection of four parables that Jesus uses to teach the crowd about the kingdom of God. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Some falls on the path, some on rocky places, some among thorns, and some on good soil where it grows and produces a harvest. A lamp is placed not under a bowl but on a stand that all may see by its light. A man scatters seed on the ground, and it sprouts and grows, though he knows not how. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Our text for today includes the last of these two parables. The parable of the seed that grows in secret, and the parable of the mustard seed. And on the surface, these two stories might seem rather straightforward, maybe even a little boring, simple. The kingdom of God is like a crop that grows from seed to harvest, even though the farmer doesn't understand how exactly that works. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, such a small seed that grows into such a large plant. The meanings of these parables seem obvious. The kingdom of God is a big thing that grows from a little thing. And this is certainly one possible meaning of these parables. We've already seen hints from Mark that Jesus' ministry in Galilee, even though it's gathering large crowds of interested people, isn't going to have the transforming effect that we might hope for. The Pharisees don't get it. Jesus' own family doesn't get it. We'll see that the disciples don't really get it either. Not yet. And we'll see next week, more clearly, the rejection of Jesus' teaching in his hometown. So we could read these parables as being about Jesus' ministry, the seemingly small, insignificant ministry of this wandering teacher in the region of Galilee is going to grow into a movement that changes the world and covers the globe. But there's a deeper sense of significance to these parables that such an easy interpretation doesn't quite satisfy. If the parables are about the ministry of Jesus, then who is the farmer who's scattering the seeds on the ground? Is it God? Is it Jesus? Then how could we explain that the farmer doesn't understand how the seed grows? Surely the point of the parable is not that God doesn't understand how crops grow or how the gospel spreads 
or that God is surprised that such a small movement could turn into such a big thing. That's not what this parable's about. These parables, like all the teachings of Jesus, have a lot going on under the surface. That's why he has to unravel them for his disciples. These parables have references to other parts of Scripture in them, echoes of the Old Testament, touchstones to Jewish culture and religious practice and belief, references to key doctrines and key stories of the people of God. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright paints for us the image of a chord, a musical chord, that has individual notes. We hear them all together, but a good choir director can identify the individual notes and trace them out for people to sing. The Jewish scholar Amy Jill Levine sticks with agricultural imagery and says that the various components of the parable are like branches growing off of a tree. Some of these branches grow naturally out of the text, while others have kind of been grafted on by tradition, by traditional readings of the parables, for better or for worse. Our first parable for today, the parable of the growing seed, is composed of a number of these notes. The parable echoes the language of creation, which carries throughout the Old Testament. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And this echoes the creation story. There was evening and there was morning, and God saw that it was good. We hear echoes of Psalm 139. You know when I go down and when I get up. And we hear echoes of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time for war and a time for peace. We even hear echoes of the Old Testament language of the final harvest, the final judgment, which we hear most powerfully in Joel chapter 3, swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. I think that in this parable, the farmer is us. The Apostle Paul picks up on the same kind of language when he addresses a crisis of leadership in the church in Corinth. Some in the church claim to follow Paul, others claim to follow a preacher who has come to them from Egypt named Apollos, and still others claim to follow Peter, Christ's disciple. And Paul writes to his church in Corinth, I planted the seed, and Apollos watered it, but God is the one who has been making it grow. Here we have a parable, I think, that teaches us to trust in the work of God in Christ. The crop grows best when the farmer leaves the seed alone and lets God do the work of making it grow. Our second parable, the parable of the mustard seed, carries a number of notes also that point to its meaning. It echoes the question of Isaiah 40. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What image shall we use to describe it? Perhaps Jesus' listeners expected him to say that the kingdom of God is like a mighty cedar or like a strong oak tree 
echoing the language of Ezekiel 17 and Daniel 4, where the kingdom of Babylon is compared to a strong, growing tree. I will plant a shoot in the mountain heights of Israel. It will produce branches and bear fruit, and birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. The tree grew very large and strong, and the birds lived in its branches, and all creatures of the earth ate of its fruit. But these stories of the kingdom of Babylon in the Old Testament, where Babylon is pictured as a tree, end with God cutting down the strong tree of Babylon and throwing it into the fire. The kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, is not like the kingdom of Babylon. It's not like the strong tree that the prophets picture in the Old Testament. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a domestic garden plant, such a small seed that grows into a 10-foot shrub, providing shade for the birds of heaven. Another reference that we see in this psalm, is, in this parable, is to the powerful, beautiful creation language of Psalm 104. We heard Psalm 104 earlier in the call to worship and also in the song, uh, How Great Thou Art. Psalm 104 paints for us a beautiful picture of a powerful God who cares deeply for the creation that he has made. The psalmist depicts the Lord as a great and heavenly king, clothed with splendor and light, wearing the sun like a cape and the moon like a crown, riding his chariot through the heavens and watching over everything that he has made. And yet in his splendor and might, he is not so high above the earth that he misses the particulars of his creation. He cares for the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and every living creature that moves along the ground. He secures the foundations of the earth and establishes the boundaries of the sea. He waters the earth, making grass grow for the cattle and trees grow for the birds. Every creature under heaven has food to eat and a place to live. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. A tiny seed that grows into a big plant so that all creatures of the earth can rest in its shade. In this parable, I think, we are the birds, resting in the shelter of the kingdom of God. At their heart, these two parables share three things in common. A seed falls to the ground. It sprouts and it grows and produces a plant. In the parable of the growing seed, the plant produces a harvest. In the parable of the mustard seed, the plant produces shelter. In both of these parables, the basic message is the same. That God is the creator. And he cares for his creation. He cares for the people he has made. On the surface, this is not earth-shaking. It is not world-changing. God created the world and cares for his creatures. This has been the unshakable conviction of the people of God since before even the time of Abraham. But on a deeper level, what Jesus teaches us here is something quite profound. 
What Jesus teaches us through these parables is that the small seed of his ministry in Galilee is the beginning of the new creation. Through him, the whole world is about to be transformed. In his own person, he brings heaven to earth. He unites God and humanity. He begins the new creation. And he offers to us a vision of the invisible God. In the person of Jesus, the work of God to redeem all of creation has already begun. The creation language of these two parables, the idea that God cares for the world that he has made, invites us also to reflect on the idea of Sabbath rest. And Mark has been preparing us for this by telling us stories of Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath. For in six days God created the world, and on the seventh day he rested. And these two parables force us to accept what can, for us, be a difficult truth. That the work of God happens without our understanding it. We simply plant the seed, but God makes it grow. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is simply get out of the way and rest in God's presence while we let him do the work. A seed will not grow if a farmer keeps on digging it up to see how it's doing. God invites us to rest in him while he does the work of renewing the whole creation. And this can be a challenging teaching for us because we tend to define ourselves by what we do by the things that we are busy with. In a survey that we took last year of the church, one of the biggest things that came across was that we define ourselves as a community, we define ourselves as a church by the things that we do. We have programs and communities, Bible studies and service projects, youth groups and seniors groups and children's programs, and we see these things as the things that make us who we are. What defines us as a church? We are hard at work making bread to nourish the soul, making shade to revive the spirit. But the teachings of Jesus here invite us to see ourselves in another way. We are not the ones who make the seed grow. We don't even understand how it grows. That is the work of God the work of our faithful God. We are invited simply to come and enjoy the fruit of his labor that he has already accomplished. The Lord feeds our souls with his body and blood. The Lord refreshes our spirits under the shadow of his wings. He does the work. We are invited to come and rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Through these two parables, our Lord invites us to rest in his presence. Our Savior invites us to come and enjoy the fruit that he has already accomplished for us in salvation. To receive the fruit of the harvest, to rest in the shade of his branches. Through his teachings, we are given a vision 
of the kingdom of God where we are invited to come and enjoy his presence forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said,